Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Continuing a long story short, can you believe it? We are just, we are, next week is our last week for this series. This was a 13-week series, and next week is our last week for this series. So we are in week 12 today of Long Story Short. And uh, again, we, uh, last week uh, we, we shared about the mission. Two weeks ago was Easter. We shared about Jesus Christ uh, not only died on the cross, but on Easter that he's alive, that he rose again. And then last week we, we talked about the 40 days that he was with his disciples following his resurrection. He began to pour into them and he began to share with them about the mission that they had, a proclamation of salvation, compassion for those in need, justice and freedom for the captives. That's what Jesus had come to do and that's what he was saying to them. Listen, I want you to go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we learned that we didn't go in our own power, but he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I give you my authority. You're going to go in my authority, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. You not only have my authority and my power, but go in my presence. My presence is with you. And the story of Christianity didn't stop just with the resurrection of Jesus And it didn't stop just with the commission that he had given his disciples. But today we recognize that that the resurrection and and the mission that he gave his disciples and, and the Holy Spirit that was poured out became a catapult to movement became a catapult to movement. It became a a catapult to the growth of the church, the church today and Christianity as we know it today. And so as we're in the final two weeks of this series, long story short, we've been looking the Bible from start to finish. We've been connecting the dots of God's redemptive plan. Today, we're going to see how that impacts you and I. How, How does that fulfill? How is that fulfilled in the New Testament and in the New Testament church? And again, as we we take a look, we proceed now to the book of Acts, and the next section captures the history of the early church movement. And we see that the mission led to the start of the church. But what exactly is the church? What do we mean by church? What exactly do we mean when we say church? You know, if I were to ask that question out in the community, what is church? What's the church? I believe I might get several different responses. I think I might hear, well, the church is a building. It's usually one of those buildings that has a steeple. You know, you drive by it. It's a place where people go on Sunday mornings, and, uh, or they go twice a week, or religious, special religious holidays. They go to celebrate Christmas, or they go to celebrate Easter. We might hear that the church is a place where religious services are held. We might, we might hear that the church is a place like maybe the YMCA or a, a senior center where people gather for social activities or social programs for themselves or their children. And they might say, well, what is my church offering this quarter or, or, or right now that I can participate in or that I can sign in? What are the programs that they have to offer? Some might see the church as a distribution center. A church is a place that helps the poor. A church is a place that, that has a, a food pantry or, or, or provides to meet the needs of people, maybe assisting them with bills or assisting them with needs. What is really meant by the church? Well, I think, look at that. Where do we have to go? We have to go to what Jesus said, right, in Scripture. 
Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, Jesus said this, and I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus is talking about the church. What does he mean by the church? There's a lot of confusion today about the church, but the Greek word in this passage for church is the Greek word ekklesia. Several years ago, we talked about this word, ekklesia, and Jesus uses that here in Matthew 16, 18, and upon this rock, I will build my church, my ekklesia, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This isn't the only time that ecclesia is used for the word church. In fact, Acts 2, 47, right after the day of Pentecost, when those who had given their lives to Christ, the 3,000 that had gotten saved, to combine that with 120 in the upper room, 3,120, they make up the church. And in verse 47, the Lord added to the church ecclesia daily, such as should be saved. Paul used the same word when he spoke of the, uh, of Christ being the head of the body, his church, his ecclesia, Colossians 1.18. What does the word ecclesia mean? Well, it's formed by putting two words together, ek meaning out, ecclesia from the Greek word meaning called. Therefore, what we conclude is, is that ecclesia means called out or a called out people. And yet today, most people, when they think of church, they don't think of the church as being a called out people. That's because when you look at religious history, there's another word that has been used for church. It's a German word called Kirche. And Kirche means this. It's probably more accurate how people think about church because Kirche is a location or a building. A location or a building where ecclesia is a people. It's all in how we view church. Do we view church as a kirke or do we view church as an ecclesia? Do we, do we think of church as just simply a building or a location that we come to and that we gather at or do we think of the church as a people or as a movement? With much persecution today, if we think of church simply as a kirke, then we can say that the kirke can be locked. The kirke being the location or building, you might be able to lock the doors of a kirke, but you cannot lock the doors on the ecclesia of Christ. Michael L. Dusing in his book, Systematic Theology, he wrote this, ecclesia in the New Testament was referring to those whom God has called out of sin into the fellowship of his son, Christ Jesus, and who became fellow citizens with God's people. You see, the church is an assembly it's an assembling of the people of God who have been called out of this world and into the saving power and service of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the ecclesia. That's what, that's what the ecclesia is all about. The church is not about choir robes, and it's not about worship teams, and it's not about stained glass windows, but it's about a fellowship of the Son, Jesus Christ. It's about men and women, boys and girls, teens, young adults, senior citizens, middle-aged. It doesn't matter who you are, what race you are. The church is about the people who have been called out and who have accepted the invitation to follow Jesus Christ. The church began as an organism, a movement with a common belief, a belief that Jesus Christ, God's Son, came and gave his life to give his life for us and the sin that separated us from God that led to a consequences of death and that we might have that sin atoned for as we celebrated earlier with communion. 
and that we might be brought back into relationship and fellowship with God and have eternal life. And again, as I said, it started with 120 people who witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ and who accepted the mission, accepted the command to go and to make disciples. And that command was also given to wait in Jerusalem for the promised Holy Spirit. And during that time, there's were the several commands. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Certainly, that was one of the things that Jesus told his followers, that he encouraged his followers in the mission he had given them. But Acts 1, 8, he also said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses and get this in Jerusalem all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth and what we see is that Jesus entrusted his followers with a commission and he has entrusted us with a commission they were sent by the father as the father has sent me he said so I am sending you And we talked about that last week. And so what did they do? They listened to him and they waited in Jerusalem for the commanded and the promised Holy Spirit And on that day of Pentecost, the Spirit was poured out. Peter preached and he called people to repentance and 3,000 believed. And what was born was the church, the ecclesia, not a building, but a people. A people who had been called out. It was not a building. It was a people who had been called out. Jesus was building his church And what we see as we read church history and as we read in the book of Acts is that church was a movement. That church was a movement that started in Jerusalem. The church just didn't hear a one-time message, believe, and everybody get baptized and go home back never to meet again. No, that's not what it is. In fact, the word ecclesia has in its history the meaning of a gathering or assembling for a purpose. It was a people with a shared common belief who were gathering together. And so we do not see the people who believe and never meet again, but rather we see them coming together on a regular basis. And so let's go back to Acts 2. We read verses 42, verse 42 and 47, but let's read the whole passage. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with all the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is what we see, the pattern, what happened when the church started, what happened? What was it like to be the ecclesia? What was the body of Christ like? What was the purpose of the church? And I think we see four areas in this passage that we gather together as the people of God. Four purposes for the church today. Number one, to worship God, to worship God. Matthew 4.10, Jesus said, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Friends, how many know we were created to worship God? We were created to worship God. The Old Testament gives us an initial uh, images of God seeking to redeem his people for his glory. Genesis 1, 26 through 28 reveals what? That humanity was created what? In the very image of God. We were created in the image of God in its simplest form and included two key elements. We have been created for fellowship with God, that they walk together in the cool of the day. God desires that we fellowship with him, his presence And also that we have a responsibility to maintain that relationship. 
Adam and Eve had a responsibility to maintain that relationship. And how did they do that? Through obedience. And Jesus made the way for us once again to have a restored fellowship with God. Therefore, you and I need to maintain that relationship. And coming together for the purpose of worship and connecting with God is a key part of what we're called to do. What does it mean to worship God? One dictionary gives 12 synonyms for worship. (laughs) 12. Here it is. Adore, admire, dote, esteem, exalt, love, magnify, regard, respect, revere, reverence, and venerate. Worship for the believer means adoration. It means exaltation. It means the magnification of God, making God big, honoring God. Worship is about centering our heart's focus on God. That's what it's about, centering our heart's focus on God. Now, we can worship as individuals. We can worship at home. We can worship in private, and I believe we should. I believe there's an element in which we should worship. But the example that we see in Scripture was that worship was not just something that was done privately and individually, but worship was done in community. Those who had a shared belief in God came together to express their honor to the one they served and experience His presence together. We see this throughout Scripture. One of the most prominent themes in the Bible, both in the Old and New Testament, is, is idolatry. We're we're, we're created to worship, but rather than worship God, we exchange the worship of God for the worship of created things. If we're not worshiping God, then our hearts drift towards worshiping other people or other images or other activities or other things to bring satisfaction. And in the Old Testament, Israel was encouraged as a nation to worship the Lord. It included times of coming together, and part of that was certain feasts, feasts like the Passover, in which they would celebrate and remember how God had had brought them out as a nation and set them free from their slavery in Egypt. They were also uh, reminded of other sacrificial times where they were to come, and what did God do? When God brought them out of Egypt and he brought them to the mountain of the Lord, he made a covenant. He didn't make a covenant just with individuals. He made a covenant with a community, with a nation. It wasn't just individualistic. It was a nation that he made a covenant with. And what did he do? When Moses was up there, not only did he give him his law, but he also gave him the very framework for what's called the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was a place that would, that would house the Ark of the Covenant, the very presence of God, and there were activities and there was structure that was set up to allow and bring the community together for times of offering and times of worship that would restore their fellowship and maintain their fellowship with God. A times of worship and times to honor and to bring their first fruits unto the Lord and to bring their sacrifices unto the Lord and a time in which the community would come together. And throughout Scripture, that's what we see. The community come together, the reading of the law and coming together as a community. It wasn't simply individualistic, but the law, the Levitical law, and we look and we go, well, so much of that is just outdated. But you have to understand, this was to establish the health of community because God is all about community. He's all about community. It's not simply about individualism. We've got an individualistic society, and we have missed out on the power of community. And that's why there are so many people today that are lonely, and so many people today that are are hurting and that are depressed because they're missing out on the importance of community. Community. And that's what the church is all about. That's what God is all about. Community. 
to come together and focus our hearts and celebrate the one who truly saves and satisfies and to offer our lives back to him as a living sacrifice. Romans 12:1. therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your true and proper worship. God is looking for us to offer our lives to him, to be used for his purpose and his plan. Through worshiping together, we gain an awareness of who we are as the people of God and the degree to which we are bound together as we encounter the living God through our time of worship. Some activities of the early believers when they would come together was for the breaking of bread as we celebrated and reminded of communion and prayer. Again, like the Old Testament, people encouraged to set aside seasons to celebrate and to remember and to come together. And that is what, that's what we see. That's what the Apostle Paul uh, was, was writing about. Why? Because when we come together around the table of the Lord, when we come together for worship, when we gather together, like Paul says, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's a reminder of the promises of God that were fulfilled and the promises that still yet remain. The things that we look forward to. We come together for times of prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We can pray individually to God, but how many of you know there is something powerful when we come together as a group and pray? When we come together as believers to pray. In Matthew 18, 20, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. How many of you know powerful things happen when the church comes together to pray? When the church gathers together to pray, powerful things happen. Secondly, not only are we, are we called to, to come together uh, in this way, but the purpose of the church is also to grow in faith, to grow in faith. One of the things that we see as a response is it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. There was a commitment to growing in faith. If we look back at the Old Testament, we see that when God called the Israelites out of Egypt and he brought them to that mountain, not only to worship, but he also, as I said before, gave them his law. His law was his instructions on how they ought to live as a people that are set apart for God. How many of you know holiness means set apart? We're set apart to God. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to live as a people that are set apart to God? What does it mean? He gave them instructions, and he wanted them to, to, to bind them, to write them on their hearts, to, to tie these, tie tassels to remind them. Now, now sometimes that, that transitioned over to legalism. But what God wanted to do is for us to continually remind ourselves about his law, about what his word says. The New Testament, that doesn't change. Jesus was a fulfillment of the law. He didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill it. As an ecclesia, as the church who is called by the grace of God, the called out ones, we're to be given ourselves not only to the written word, God's Bible, but also Jesus, the word who demonstrated how we ought to live. Jesus was our example. And he calls us out and he saves us. And, and what does he save us? Well, because there are still lifestyles. There are still habits. How I many know you, you, can, you, can, you can give your life to Christ, but how I many you know there are still habits and lifestyles and the old things, the old, the old ways that are still inside, aren't they? There are still things we have to break. There are things we have to learn. That's why after it talks in, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 and says, uh, give yourself off of your bodies a living sacrifice. It then says, no longer be conformed to the pattern of this world. Don't be conformed to the patterns, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. Why? Because there are, there are things that we have to learn how to be the people of God. What does it mean to be the people of God? 
And, and, and so teaching and devoting ourselves to the teaching of the Word of God and coming together to grow in the Word of God builds our faith. Romans 10, 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. When we come together and we gather together like this, we are encouraging and building our faith. When we allow other things to take the place of hearing the Word of God, it becomes easy to drift back into the culture and the message of our culture. We don't even realize that we're no longer living the way the Lord has encouraged us or desired for us to live. John 8, 31, if you hold to my teaching, you really are, you are really my disciples. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we're, we're, we're called to not only uh, listen and hear the word, but to do what it says, so that as James says, not to be deceived, so that we're not deceived. We need to come together to learn and study and grow in God's word. We're also to grow in fellowship. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to fellowship. Again, we talked about that word during communion, koinonia. It's just not about coming and having faith. It's just not about believing. It's about belonging. It's not just about believing. It's about belonging. They come together. First Timothy 3.15, God's family is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. God's family we are called to belong, belong to a family, belong to a, a body. Even in a perfect sinless environment in, in Eden, God said that it's not good that man should be alone. We're, we're not called to just believe, we're called to belong. We're called to belong, we're created for community, we're fashioned for fellowship, we're formed for a family, and none of us can fulfill God's purpose by ourselves. Again, the Bible knows nothing of solitary saints and spiritual hermits. It doesn't. While you're in relationship, while your relationship with Christ is personal, it's never intended to be private. In God's family, the, the truth is, the Bible says that we belong to one another. We're interconnected with every other believer, whether you like it or not. Whether you look around and you like them or not. As a believer in Christ Jesus, you're connected. You said, Pastor, where do you find that at? <laughs> Romans 12, 5, in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Like it or not, you know that song, happy to be stuck with you. Ooh, 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 ooh. The church is a messy place. Those people hurt me. Those people are imperfect. I, I, I can't belong to that. I'm just going to sit at home and watch the TV evangelists. You know, there are some good things you can learn and you can hear from a TV evangelist, but you'll never get what the Bible talks about in terms of the importance of community. You can stay at home all you want. And yes, you can say your faith is private. <laughs> well, it's personal. But we belong to each other. And you really aren't living out in obedience the fulfillment of Christ if you are not fellowshipping together with other believers. They devoted themselves to fellowship. C.S. Lewis noted that the word membership is really of a Christian origin, but the world has emptied it of its meaning. Stores offer discounts to members. Advertisers use members to create mailing lists. And churches' membership is often reduced to simply adding your name to a role with no requirements or expectations. To Paul, being a member of the church meant that you're a vital organ of a living body. 
a vital organ. In fact, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I don't have time as I, I look today, I don't have time to get into all of that, but, but every member of the body is indispensable. Every member of the body is interconnected. We need every member of the body of Christ. We need you, and you need us. And so we need to recover what a biblical meaning of membership is. See, the church is a body, not a building. It's an organism, not an organization. The Bible says that a Christian without a church home is like an organ without a body. It's like a sheep without a flock, a child without a family. It's unnatural. Ephesians 2.19, the living Bible says you belong in God's household with every other Christian. See, in today's culture, we have such an independent individualism that, that it, what it's created is some spiritual orphans. We've created bunny believers who, who hop around from one church to another without any kind of identity, without joining or attending a local church. But God, God would strongly disagree with that. Why? Because the church is so significant that Jesus Christ died for it. Ephesians 5.25, God loved the church and gave his life for it. Except for some important exceptions, maybe uh, referring to believers throughout history, but every time the word church is used, it refers to a local visible congregation of, and a gathering of called out ones. That, that's what we see in the New Testament. It's, it's a gathering. It's a gathering together of believers in a local fellowship together. The Bible offers many compelling reasons that we need to be committed and active for a, to, to a church family, to a local fellowship. The, the church family identifies you as a genuine believer. Jesus said, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. How do we prove to the world that we're disciples? We've got to love one another. Well, if you're isolated, you're not loving one another. You're not fulfilling what he called us to do. We come together to love each other as a church when we come from different backgrounds, different social backgrounds, different economic backgrounds, different, different genders and, and, and different ethnic backgrounds. We all come together and when we love one another, there's something that is powerful about that that is not seen in society where we get to show and demonstrate Christ's love as we love one another. John 17, 21, that, that, that all of them may be one, Father, this is Jesus' prayer, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. See, this is fellowship, oneness included sharing one another, the resources, being, being happy to help, being happy to help one another. You see, supporting and encouraging one another. You wonder in the early church, why does it say that they, they sold all they had and gave to everyone who had need? Because persecution had broke out. And many of them that owned businesses, many of them that had a business, when they put their faith in Jesus Christ and they said, we believe in the resurrected Savior. You know what happened? They were booted out and nobody wanted to, their, their economics were impacted. And so the church came together as a body to support one another so that everyone could continue to take their stand in belief that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. And as a church, we can learn from that example to encourage one another, especially in times of persecution. In fact, we read last week about Peter and John facing persecution after raising a lame man up, and afterwards, what they did, they went back to the church. They didn't, they didn't just go out together. They didn't hang out individually. They went back to a body called the church. It says, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people, reported all the chief priests and the elders had said, and when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. They came together and prayed for one another. They came together and supported one another. That's what the church does. 
When you're experiencing difficulty, when you're experiencing persecution, when you're experiencing trouble, what do you do? You gather together with your brothers and sisters in Christ and you pray together and you encourage one another. That's the power of the church. And when they did this, verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They were encouraged to continue in the work. Why? Because they came together as a body. They didn't move into isolation. They came together as the people of God, the ecclesia. It wasn't about a building. It was about a people. And they received that encouragement. It leads to the fourth purpose today, to reach out. <laughs> Jesus came to seek and save the lost, right? He, he said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. How I many you know we've got a mission? Not only are we to grow in our worship, not only are we to grow in the word and fellowship, but we're also to grow in reaching out. And we do that together as a body. Yeah, we're called to witness individually, but we are all also called as a church family to get out. Why? Acts 2.47, we're not called to just stay inward. The Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. Friends, that's what we need to see. That's what we need. We need, to, we need to continually be reaching out. It's not just about getting to, together and fellowshipping and, oh, look at our little club. This is wonderful. But it's about reaching out and saying, you know what? We need to let others know about the hope of Jesus Christ. And, and, and in Acts 1.8, Jesus said that you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, here's what happened. The church began in Jerusalem. It began to grow on the day of Pentecost, 3,000. The Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. There were things that were happening. But here's the problem. The church itself stayed in Jerusalem. They just kind of stayed where they know. They stayed where their location was. When they had come, they, they kind of communed together. They built this thing together, and that's where they were. Do you know what began to move them out to Samaria? Do you know what began to move them out to, to, to minister to the, to the Gentiles and to plant churches and what we see in the book of Acts? Persecution. It took persecution. Why? Because our natural tendency is to want to gather together, kumbaya, come together. This is wonderful. Us three and no, us four and no more. That's the natural tendency of the heart. The natural tendency of the heart is to draw in, but Christ calls us to go out. And when the persecution had come, what happened? Philip went on to a, to a town in Samaria. We see it in Acts chapter 8. And he began to preach there. And the people believed. And, and they were baptized. And then the Holy Spirit fell. And then he, he met a, 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 an official from Ethiopia, an Ethiopian eunuch. And, and God just, just supernaturally just kind of transported him. He's running right alongside. Whoa, this is cool. And, and he hears him reading the word. And he had been in the, into the temple. And, but he didn't understand what he was reading. And somebody explained it to me. And so Philip had the opportunity to explain and, and, and he, he got baptized and we don't see much discipleship because all of a sudden he goes on but we know that the word of God then got back to Ethiopia God was moving he was moving his gospel out in Acts chapter 10 Peter's used to bring the hope of the gospel to the to the first Gentile believers Cornelius a Roman centurion and his entire household and 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 what we see is this movement of the church this movement out of Jerusalem to Judea Samaria and then eventually church planting begins in fact there were believers who 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 didn't even come out of the church of Jerusalem who had heard and they planted a church in Antioch and the church in Antioch began to grow and the Jerusalem church heard about that they said what's going on that's 
Barnabas there to find out what's going on. Barnabas brings Paul in and says, this is, a, this is a move of the Holy Spirit. This is what God is doing. It was a movement, a movement out. If the church is not a movement out, if the church is not reaching out, if we're not moving out, we're not fulfilling our purpose. Because it's not about a building, it's about a movement. It's about a people accepting their call as the body of Christ and reaching out to their neighbors and reaching out to those that are in need and loving one another and loving their community. It's about the gospel. Acts chapter 11, 19 to 21, those who had been scattered by persecution broke out when Stephen was killed, traveled from as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word among the Jews. Some of them, however, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks, also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. The hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the world. Notice ecclesia. People began to take the message of the gospel outside, and the church began to grow. And in Acts chapter 9, Saul, a highly religious Pharisee who, who persecuted believers for their faith, was converted. And in Acts chapter 13, he went on his first missionary journey to the Gentiles. He and Barnabas set apart for us for the work. We see a missionary movement where the church in Antioch said, oh, we hear from God. Let's set apart for us Barnabas. Let's set apart for us Saul, and let's send them out so that they can carry this message of the gospel to our surrounding areas, and they began to plant churches in cities. They didn't plant buildings. They planted churches, epicenters of believers coming together who shared the message of the gospel with their city. And in that, they established local leadership. Timothy and Silas left behind to disciple these new believers, and Paul began to set up the church, and he set up church leadership. You see elders mentioned, and you see deacons mentioned, and you see others that were mentioned. There was a, a structure that when the movement and the people of God began to grow up, then there was a structure for that local body. I say that because sometimes we hear about ecclesia and the people, we move against structure. It's not an and or or, it's both. Because you need the organization to continue the fruitfulness. It's the body of Christ coming together under the leadership that God had had, and, and, and that's what we see. And so this church, again, the church was not a building. For the most part, Jewish believers, they, they had been kicked out of the temple. It was a movement of the redeemed people of Christ sharing the message of the gospel. Paul, Peter, and John, and James, they write letters to these churches to help them grow because heresy and conflicts came up and lack of love and excess in regards to spiritual gifts. It was, it was not a clean institution. In fact, it was a messy movement of sinners saved by grace called to share the gospel with their community. That's what the church is. It's messy. In his book, The Story of Christianity, Justo L. Gonzalez writes this, evangelism did not take place in church services, rather, as Celsus said, in kitchens and shops and markets. Most converts were made by anonymous Christians whose witness led others to faith. He goes on to write, it's clear that the enormous spread of the gospel in those first few centuries was not due to full-time missionaries, but rather the many Christians who traveled uh, for other reasons, slaves, merchants, exiles, condemned to work in the mines and the like. See, it wasn't about a building, it was about a called out people. The ones who carry the hope of the gospel in their everyday spheres of influence. We are called to share the gospel with our neighbors. We're called to share the gospel with our coworkers, with our friends, with our family. The church is a movement of people, and it advances as, as we take on the mission of God. As a church, we're not just called to simply believe. We're called to belong. We're called to gather 
to assemble with those who God has called out, who has saved, to recognize the importance of gathering together for corporate worship. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves, Hebrews says. To commit together, devoting ourselves to the teaching and to learning the word of God, to fellowshipping together and belonging, to encourage one another, and to take the gospel out to a world that is in need. See, this was the purpose. This was Jesus' purpose for the church. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Go indicates movement. Movement. How would our community change? How would our community change if God's people, spirit-filled, would go out and share Christ with their community? If we would love one another and be devoted to prayer and learning and growing together, if we stop worrying about persecution and comfort, we stop worrying about seeing the church as a building or an institution, and we started being the called out ones of God, how would our community and our world change? Friends, we are the church. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We're the church, not a building, but a called out people. And today, I want to challenge you I want to challenge you to live out your purpose as the church today. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe you're here today and this message just seemed like it wasn't for you. You, you don't come to church. Maybe this is your first time. I want, to, I want to say, you know what? You God wants you to be a part of his church. God wants you to be a part of his church. And if you've yet to, to give your life to Christ, to invite him into your life, to ask him for forgiveness and to say, Jesus, I want you in my life. I want to I invite you into my life. If you haven't done that, I'd like to give that invitation. I'd like to invite you to be a, become a part of his church, his ecclesia, his movement. If that's you and you'd like to receive Christ today, will you slip up your hand today? I want to pray with you. I want like to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior today. Anyone at all, I want to give my life to Christ today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And this morning, I'm speaking to you, the church. <laughs> And I want to ask you, church, are you living out the purpose of God? Are you living out the purpose of God? Have you devoted yourself to worship? Have you devoted yourself to teaching, to learning God's word, to discipleship? Are you in fellowship with one another, or is your faith more isolated and private? How are you doing on reaching out? I want to ask you today to let the Holy Spirit search your heart. If there's any area that you need to repent today, any area that you need to just ask the Lord to move in your heart and to change your heart, as I pray, will you do that today? Father, we just thank you today for your great love for us, that we are your called out ones. We are your church, and we want to be the church. We want to be a church that grows together in worship. We want to be a church that grows together in learning your word. We want to be a church that grows in faith, that grows in fellowship. And we want to be a church that reaches out with the message and the hope of the gospel to our community. Father, whatever areas we're struggling with, whatever areas that we need to grow in, convict our hearts, Lord. Convict our hearts. And Lord, challenge us to grow in you to take up our place in your body, to not be stagnant, but to be a people, to be a movement.
Father, we love you and thank you and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.